What up, world? It's your past first point guard and a Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. It's Mailbag Monday. That means we're doing a full show answering your questions. Submit it on Twitter. If you want to be part of the Monday Mailbag, here's what you do. Follow me on Twitter, at Mike G. Rich. And either just send me a question whenever you're thinking of it, or watch the skies Monday morning Pacific time when I solicit questions on Twitter. You send me your questions, I'll answer them here in the podcast. That's what we're going to do today. We do it every week. Let's get it rolling. First one comes from Ronald at underscore Ronald McDank on Twitter who asks, what are the chances of Portland re-signing Melo next season? I know he might want to jump ship and join a serious contender. Does he fit with a healthy Blazers team sharing time with Hood and Zach? Fit-wise, yeah, definitely. Uh, as the roster stands today, Rodney Hood could walk and become a free agent. Uh, Hassan Whiteside could be, will be a free agent. Ken Bazemore will be a free agent. Mario Hazonia could, will, will enter free agency. They're, they're going to have a lot of, uh, this roster is going to be shaken up regardless of whether Melo stays or not. So he would fit just because they're going to have space and minutes for him as they stand today. Obviously things change quickly in season trades, whatever they might do in free agency and otherwise. But yeah, fit wise, that's not the issue. Uh, him wanting to join a serious contender. You know, there's been reports that LeBron James, maybe not told the Lakers to sign him, but okayed, said, if you guys want to sign Melo, go ahead and do it. The Lakers chose not to. Obviously, other, all, let's say, other 28 teams, 27 teams, let's say, OKC and uh, and Houston weren't involved. So the other 27 teams, not including the Blazers, had a chance to sign Carmelo Anthony every day for eight months and chose not to. So I don't think there's exactly, even with this uh, mini renaissance we've seen over the last week. I don't think there's going to be a ton of teams clamoring to add him. I think his um, profile's definitely changed. The perception of him has definitely changed, but I don't think he's going to be like a hot, hot name in free agency. So I'd handicap it 48% he signs with the Blazers, 52% he signs with any other team in the NBA. Next question comes from Trailblazers Cookbook at Cookbook Trail on Twitter who asks, should Carmelo the L is a seven in this one. Change his brand to Carmelo. The last two O's are double zeros. Also, what do you mean I'm banned from Twitter now? Good joke, Trailblazers Cookbook. You are banned from Twitter, mostly because you got the branding wrong. It's Stay Mellow, where the L is a seven, or Stay Mellow, where there's two O's at the end. Come on, dog. Get the branding right. Um, Carmelo Anthony still does the Stay Mellow thing. I checked his Instagram today. My man loves social media. At least he enjoys Instagram. Loves a hashtag. He stays with the Stay Mellow with that numerical 7 as the L, but he does use the hashtag 007. So while I I like the uh, Stay Mellow 2-0s branding, he seems not to, and uh, it's his brand he gets to choose. Sorry that you got banned from Twitter for your uh, confusion. Next question comes from Jeff Ellsworth at ellsbells 8 on Twitter who asks, If Mello is still producing like this in February and March, what happens to the rotation when Collins returns? I can't imagine that Zach Collins comes back from four months on the shelf and steals a starting spot from Carmelo Anthony, particularly if he's averaging 22-7 and seven like he is now. That is what I would call one of them good problems, Jeff. The Blazers don't have a ton of depth. 
If Zach Collins is healthy, he is going to immediately be part of the, the group who plays. Sorry, Scalabissier. But I don't think if you're if, if we're operating on the assumption that Melo is producing like he is now, which he's playing like just a starting level NBA forward, even a good one, the Western Conference Player of the Week shot over 50% from the floor, helped the Blazers beat the Bulls twice, and Oklahoma City Thunder. If he is that level of basketball player in March, Zach Collins is going to come steal a spot. Also, I don't think Zach Collins is going to be available till April. If you read the press release from the Blazers, he's going to be reevaluated in mid-March. That does not mean return. He's certainly not going to be ready in February. We're talking end of March, April, or the playoffs for Collins. Sorry to rain on your parade, Jeff, but uh, the Zach Collins is a long way away. We will, when we get there, shoot me another question on a mailbag Monday, and I'll answer it. Okay, this next question comes. From CJ at Friggin' Winning on Twitter, who asks, Carmelo has the second most shot attempts behind Dame, or had the second most shot attempts behind Dame last game. The national media has been feeding Carmelo's ego the last couple of games. Is there a chance we see him revert to his old ways and become the leader in shot attempts per game? You're blaming the national media for shot attempts, CJ? What on earth, my man? There is no way that that has any factor. On who shoots for the Blazers. Certainly the national media can change uh, perceptions, how players think about themselves and the team and their role on the team, but I don't think it dictates who shoots and when. I just don't think that's what's happening. But to answer your question, will Melo revert back to his old ways and become the leader in field goal attempts? I have a tough time believing that would be the case for a variety of reasons. One, Damian Lillard dribbles the ball the most on the team. If he wants to shoot every time down the floor, he can. He has said exactly that. If I wanted to get a shot off, I could every trip down. Two, the Blazers' second blessed player is CJ McCollum, and my man CJ loves to shoot it. He loves to put him up. He had two fewer field goal attempts against the Bulls but he's still going to be someone who gets more shots up than Melo on most nights. Again, he does the dribbling. Melo's going to shoot. He was brought in to score. The Blazers need his offense. They need him to do things. I wouldn't be particularly worried about field goal attempts when it comes to Carmelo Anthony and the Blazers. If he's shooting, that's their third best option. Maybe fourth if you're a big Rodney Hood fan. We'll get to that in a little, in a little bit later. But there is no national media narrative fueling Carmelo Anthony's shot attempts. Just not how it works. Next question comes from JB at Northwest Jeff on Twitter. JB asks, how do you think about giving Olshay credit for Melo signing? I think it should be, what do you think about giving Olshay credit for Melo signing? As a note, Jeff wrote Olshay's name with a dollar sign. <laughs> the S is a dollar sign. Everyone's getting in on it. On the one hand, it's been an in fact impactful addition like Cantor last year. On the other hand, why didn't he do this instead of Anthony Tolliver before the season? Yeah, I've asked the same question, Jeff. JB, I think the most the most curious part of Carmelo's success with the Blazers is that every other team in the NBA had also decided he was bad. And the Blazers had decided Mario Hazonia and 34-year-old Anthony Tolliver, a player who has never been good, as good as Carmelo Anthony and is Carmelo's peer, was a better role player type as a backup power forward and occasional starter than Carmelo Anthony. It is the most curious thing about this whole soul situation. 
is that the league collectively decided that Melo wasn't good and the Blazers were part of that collection until their season got so desperate that they reached out to sign him. So I do give Neil Olshay credit because at the moment when the Blazers season was slipping away, heading into a long road trip when it looked like things were headed in the wrong direction, and they were headed in the wrong direction, they didn't just look that way, he went and signed probably the best player available and a player that has immediately paid dividends. But you have to wonder, and I group Olshay in with the rest of the GMs in the league, why was there a con- such a clear consensus that Carmelo Anthony was bad? And not just that he was bad, because he has limitations. He moves slowly on defense. He's 35. He's not getting any better on that end. He's a, he's a power forward who can't really play any other positions. But why was there such a consensus that he was just straight up bad, that he could not help even in a limited role? Or was there a consensus that he wouldn't take a limited role? Or was it, did it take a team like the Blazers who had a starting spot open for him for his people to even consider it? Olshay deserves some credit. Everyone, including Olshay, deserves a big question mark. What the hell was going on? Carmelo Anthony was certainly one of the better forwards on the free agent market last season. He's been available since last January. Why did it take so long? Okay, coming back in the second segment, we're going to answer more of your questions. All right, let's keep it rolling with more of Mailbag Monday, answering your questions all episode long as we do every week at this time. This next question comes from Jake Smith at JakesMe19 on Twitter, who asks, what's your biggest takeaway from the three wins this week? Did one thing really stand out to you in terms of uh, of helping us win tougher games later in the year? Here's what stood out to me. Two weeks ago, the Blazers were a below-average offensive team in terms of points scored per possession. They had slipped to 16th in the league, as far as 17th, 17th, depending on where you checked. They're up to 9th this week, and I have talked about this in the past, that they're the direction they need to go in to be a competitive basketball team again is to be an elite offensive group. They are. This team does not have the personnel to be a high-level defensive team. They probably have the personnel to be a mediocre, like a league average, slightly below league average defensive team, really, on their best, best days. But they have the personnel to be an elite offensive team, like one of the best five offenses in the league, in my opinion. As of when I hit recording this on Monday evening, They're up to ninth. They're a top 10 offense in the league. That's right where they need to be. They probably need to climb up a little bit higher, if we're being honest. So if I'm looking at the reasons why they were able to pull off three wins, first of all, they played the Bulls twice. The Bulls are bad. But more holistically, it's because the offense is getting on track. And I've said this a couple times. I I recorded a whole podcast kind of about this, and I've mentioned in, in other recent episodes, is that Carmelo Anthony helps this team make sense. He's changed Rodney Hood's role to more of a catch and shoot. Uh, tertiary scorer. Kent Bazemore doesn't have to do as much on offense. Anthony Anthony Simons doesn't have to do as much on offense. Hassan Whiteside has more room with four shooters around him in the starting lineup to kind of lumber through pick and rolls. He's slow. He needs space. And the Blazers now can give him that space to operate where everyone's standing in comfortable and dangerous positions around him. Mellows helped this team make sense. Their offense is clicking. And that's why they beat they handily beat the Bulls and handily beat the Thunder, and then were able to hold on and beat the Bulls again. What really stood out to me is an offense that starts it's starting to be a little bit sharper. Next question comes from Brennan O'Donnell, at Brennan O'Donnell on Twitter. The O is a zero. 
So we're doing a theme where I'm pointing out all the numerical letters this episode. It just happened organically, but here we are. Question from Brennan is, what needs to go right in order to beat both LA teams this week? Is Mello the answer or is it further down the bench? Blazers play the Clippers on Tuesday, the Kings on Wednesday, and the Lakers on Friday. So what needs to happen for them to beat the Clippers and the Lakers? Let me answer your second question first. Is Well, your third question, I guess. Is the answer further down the bench? Hell no. Hell no. Have you seen the Blazers bench? Not a lot of answers down there at the end. Nazir Little ain't the answer to it. I, I'm a Carolina kid who uh, who thinks Nazir Little has been a heck of a surprise. He is not the answer. Anthony Tolliver is not the answer at the end of the bench. Mario Zonia is not the answer at the end of the bench. Jalen Horde and Moses Brown got sent back to the G League. They aren't even uh, eligible to be answers at the end of the bench. It's probably not Simons or Kent Bazemore either. It's probably not Scal. The answer... And if you listen to this podcast enough, you've heard me say it before, and I'm going to say it again. The answer is that stars got to be stars. The answer, how they beat the Lakers and the Clippers this week, is that Damian Lillard plays like the best player on the court. Against Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, if Damian Lillard is the best player on the floor, the Blazers will have a chance. They need him to be excellent. They need CJ to be excellent. They need that starting group, which the Blazers are one of maybe the rare teams in the league, that their best five players are their five starters. They need those guys to be elite. Clippers come at you in waves. They kind of intentionally bring Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell off the bench, even though those guys are among their better players, among their best players. Come at you in waves, hit you all 48 minutes with really tough lineups, but the Blazers need to just dominate with the starters. That's how you win. Against the Lakers, the Lakers are incredibly big and can be a really good defensive team when they're focused. That seems like a brutal matchup for the undersized Blazers. How you win is that... You hit a ton of shots. Damon CJ hit shots. Carmelo stretches the floor, makes it tough, and you win the game by being an elite offense. Tough to do. Tough task. We haven't seen the Blazers beat a really good team this year. They beat Dallas, but that was a long time ago. And it took a coach's challenge, and they still had Zach Collins. This was a different roster. It's be two really tough tests this week, and I think you do that by being, by leaning into your strengths, and that's having your two star guards be star guards. Okay, this next question, another one from Jake Smith at JakeSme19 on Twitter who asks, has Hoodie exceeded expectations so far this season? We knew he could hoop, but the man is putting up ridiculous efficiency stats. Some of the best in the entire league. Yeah, uh, Rodney Hood is third in the NBA in three-point percentage, shooting 50.2% on 3.6 attempts per game. While I was looking this up, Rodney Hood's taken 63 threes this year. Marcus Morris is second in the league. He's shooting 52% from three and has taken 104 threes this season. Who knew Marcus Morris was so was shooting so well for the Knicks? Not me. But back to the question at hand. That That's just something I got caught up in looking at the stats. Yeah, um, I think Hood's situation has been simplified. He's able to space out to the corner. He's able to attack one-on-one. Uh, not that he was drawing double, drawing double teams, but I think the spacing, particularly with Mello on the court has really helped him. And, uh, Terry Stotts has changed the lineup a little bit. So Hood plays virtually every single one of his minutes with Damian Lillard. And generally speaking, the guys who have played with Dame over the years have just are, have better numbers, put up better numbers because Dame draws so much attention and is so talented. I didn't know Rodney Hood was going to shoot 50% from three this year. I would even say 3.6 attempts from deep a game is not enough. I, I think he should push that number up towards five, even if you lose a little bit of efficiency. 
Duke can really shoot. He's been a really valuable spacer. He's probably playing the best offensive basketball we've seen him play. He's been incredibly useful for this team. And like I keep saying, their their path to being really good is being an elite offense. And Rodney Hood is a huge part of that picture. Next question comes from Logan Giles. Logan Giles, at Logan Giles on Twitter, who asks, What letter grade would you give Bayes based on what you've seen from him so far this season? So I always struggle with this letter grade thing because, so if average is a C, does that mean that Kent Bazemore's average is a C and I'm grading him on that curve? Or if Kent Bazemore is kind of overall a B minus, am I grading him on that curve? I'll give you both. I think on the sort of holistic Damian Lillard being an A and Mario Hasonia being a D, I think uh, Bazemore has probably been a C, C, C minus. He just can't shoot. His offense has been so bad. He's provided a bunch of energy. He's been positive on defense, but he's not an elite lockdown wing defender. Like He's one of the Blazers' best defensive players, but he's not quite big enough to guard the LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard type big wings. That's not a great option for him. He's a good energy help side weak defender, get in passing lanes, bring chaos with his energy and his speed. But his offense has been so poor that I struggle to give him anything higher than than a C. But if we're talking about Kent Bazemore sort of on the Bazemore scale, uh, C being like his average, what he, what I would have sort of expected, I'd probably give him lower than that. I think he's been below average for what I expected. Probably like a D plus. Just really struggling on offense. He's uh, even on his good nights. When he's obviously good getting steals, getting blocks, having highlights like that, he just can't shoot. And I expected him to sort of be that 36 league average three-point shooter. So, I, for me, Bazemore has been a little bit of a disappointment. I thought he was going to be a really big upgrade over Evan Turner, and I'm not sure he's an upgrade over Evan Turner. Turner was bigger and was able to guard fours, something the Blazers probably could use more of. Next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus. The Reverend asks, What is more likely by January 1st, the Blazers being in the top eight of the West or Mario Hazonia being in the regular lineup. This one's easy, Reverend. You usually give me tougher ones than this. As I'm recording this podcast, the Blazers are a game and a half out of the eighth seed in the West. They got a leapfrog over the Thunder and the Kings, Kings they play on Wednesday, to catch the eighth place Suns. But that could happen in one night. A Suns loss and a Blazers win and Portland is in eighth place. So it's much more likely. On top of that, I don't think Mario Hazonia is close to getting back into the regular rotation. I think he got his chance and proved that he is not great. All right, we're going to roll forward to the third segment. We're going to close out the show just like we started it, answering more of your questions on Mailbag Monday here on Locked on Blazers. All right, welcome back. Still Locked on Blazers, still Pass First Point Guard, still Mike Richmond, and it's still Mailbag Monday. Answering your questions submitted to me on Twitter and solicited by me on Twitter. This next question comes from Sir Wheezy at Wheezy Sir on Twitter, who asks, Went to Cocaine recently per your recommendation on a prior podcast. Very delightful experience. Any other recs? 
More blazery note, could you see a scenario where Mello remains the starter for the rest of the season and Zach or whoever the Blazers trade for comes off the bench? I answered this question up top. We're going to mostly stick with food on this one, but I will reiterate it because you asked it, Sir Wheezy. Yeah, uh, I can't imagine Zach Collins jumps right into the starting lineup when he returns. I can't imagine that the Blazers trade for someone currently with what they have that is specifically a better power forward than Carmelo Anthony. They might be able to upgrade some other spots, but I don't think the way, like just the way the last week has gone, I kind of think Melo is their starting power forward and that they try to fix things on the edges, whatever that might be. You know, maybe they still swing for the fences and they try they make try to make a big move and Melo fits in behind those parts. But for me right now, where they stand, I think that they're more likely to upgrade the bench and maybe move Whiteside for another starting center type, if I had to guess at moves they would make. Although Whiteside has played better the last couple games, so who knows. A big move might still be coming, but I don't think... Um, I don't think a minor move would push Mello out of the rotation. I certainly don't think Zach Collins' return would either. But to answer your other question, uh, restaurant recommendation, Coquine Restaurant Southeast Portland. It's, uh, it's fantastic. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Sir Wheezy. I guess my next one for essential Portland restaurants would be Eam. That's E-E-M. It is Thai barbecue with uh, fun vacation drinks, as they call them. They're kind of like... Cocktails in pufferfish glasses, fun fun glassware. Uh, it's a little bit of weight. You will have to probably wait to go in there, but you can get a drink while you wait. If you are not someone who drinks alcohol, they also do a full non-alcoholic, like fun mocktail menu. So fun for the whole family, or at least for adults who may or may not drink alcohol. Check it out. Eam. Okay, next question. Another one from CJ at Friggin' Winning on Twitter. Love Friggin' Winning as a handle, CJ. CJ asks, It's super fun to see professional athletes' toys, cars, clothing, vacations, and all-out spending on social media. Who do you think is the most shrewd or frugal blazer? First name that comes to mind is uh, CJ McCollum. He tweeted this summer that he'd taken Uber Pool. I know sometimes when him and his partner travel, they ride in commercial planes and not necessarily in first class, which is wild to me. My guy has made quarter of a billion dollars, upgrade to first class. It's fine. He seems like the most sort of frugal of the uber-rich, but just as a funny anecdote, uh, I was in the locker room after Friday's game, and Nazir Little was telling his teammates, and I quote, Ross, be hidden. And he was explaining to Zach Collins and Rodney Hood that you could get really good deals on name-brand items at Ross. That, my friends, is someone who hasn't been a millionaire for very long. Okay, next question comes from at Peyton PDX, who asks, if you could grant one Christmas Christmas wish to the Blazers, what would it be? Let's stick to something that's already in the realm of possibility, but still a wish. Mine would be for Nurk to return this season closer to peak Nurk than rehabbing Nurk. That's a pretty nice wish, honestly, Paint PDX. That if that happens, the Blazers are going to be very interesting at the tail end of this season, whenever Nurk comes back. Let's say in your wish he comes back like for the first of March or whatever. They're going to be really Really good for six weeks, if that's the case. Uh, My wish for the Blazers, realistically, would be for Kent Bazemore to regain his shooting stroke of two years ago when he shot 39% from three. Kent Bazemore was a true three and D threat. He, He would give the Blazers another option on the wing. He would 
really provide some pop in the bench unit that the Blazers have been trying to find some pop from, that would be my wish. So that Kent Bazemore gets back to the Kent Bazemore that maybe a lot of us thought he would be. This next question comes from KJM underscore B-Ball at B-Ball KJM on Twitter who asks, if Dame Lillard can play first-team All-NBA level this season, giving him two first, two second, and a third team in the past seven years, and consistent team success, how does his greatness compare to his guard peers this decade? Is he in the top three with Steph Curry, James Harden, Damian Lord? Yeah, I, I think you kind of have to put Russell Westbrook in there. I think it's pretty clear that right now Damian Lord is better than Russell Westbrook and probably has been for about two seasons. But uh, Russ was fantastic if we're just talking about the decade. He certainly belongs in there. Kyrie Irving won a championship, hit one of the biggest shots in the history of the NBA to seal that game in Game 7 or to give the Cavs a great chance to win that game in Game 7. He probably is on that list, although Damian Lode is better than him too in my eyes. So yeah, I think he's, I would say he's in the top three. He's definitely behind Steph Curry and James Harden as it stands, but he's 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 probably no worse than that. Um, if you're really talking about the whole decade, dating back to 2010, I'm not 100% sure that Damian Lord has been better than Chris Paul. That's, he is now by, by a wide margin, certainly, but Chris Paul of 10 years ago was very, very, very good. Could have won the MVP of the league in 2008, in my opinion. That was obviously outside the decade, but he was at that level. Damian Lillard was still in college when Chris Paul was was balling in 2010 and 2011. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll say Dame deserved to be in the top three, but there's other people in the conversation. Okay, final question of the show. This was, uh, I hit record and I got this this tweet. So Jack, you just made it in. This one comes from Parshall, at Jack Parshall on Twitter, who asks, Whiteside seems to be expendable for a trade, 10 blocks aside. And then he notes that that is a stat stocking stuffer. That's a good joke. Might steal it from you. If Nurk comes back healthy, Parshall says that he would rather keep Bazemore's defense and pick up another 4-5 of the potential playoff run. So I, I kind of made this question more confusing. It needs to be basically what Parshall is asking is essentially if you had to choose between trading one of the expiring Sasan Whites that are Kent Bazemore, who do you value more? I am going to say it's got to be Whiteside for all of his problems. And if you've listened to this podcast, which I know you have, Parshall, and many others who are regular sub uh, submitters to the Mailbag Monday, you know that I don't think Hassan Whiteside is super good. I think he has real problems. I think his offense is super clunky. I think his defense is either overrated or just uh, kind of mediocre, depending on your opinion. But he's the best option the Blazers have at center by far. Scalabissier has good touch and provides a different type of skill set than Whiteside offers, but he is not as good as Hassan Whiteside. He's not as strong. He's not the rebounder. He's not the defender that Whiteside is. Whiteside is the Blazers' best option, and they just don't have other options behind him. I think you, you're you right in saying that you'd rather pick up another 4-5, but I don't think trading... Hassan Whiteside and hoping that you get someone better than him unless you sort of know you have that on the other end is as smart as it might be to move off of Bayes' money and see where you can upgrade. Same target, maybe a different approach. That's, uh, you know, your mileage may vary. That's It's my mailbag. I get to answer the questions the way I see fit. 
you disagree, y'all know where to find me. That's going to do it for this episode. Another wonderful Mailbag Monday. I've come to really love these episodes. I appreciate you all for helping make them possible. If you want to be involved, if this is your first Mailbag Monday and you want to have your question answered on the show or you just want to hear my voice say your Twitter handle out loud, shoot me a question at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You can do that whenever you're thinking of it all week long. If you've got a question, Blazers-related, NBA-related, you can tweet it at me, at Mike G. Rich. Plenty of the questions that were answered in the show tonight were not submitted Monday morning. But otherwise, check my Twitter feed Monday morning. I send out a call for questions. You respond to that tweet. You'll get your question answered on the show. My hit rate is close to 100%. 100% this week, 100% most weeks. You ask it, I'll answer it. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can find it wherever they get podcasts. That's on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else. Appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you soon.